Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? We're doing a listener's choice. It's two-part. We teased this uh, a week or two ago. It's all about our favorite uh, books, and this is not just covering sales books, um, and we're not going to cover, what's the saying, Bobby? It's uh, it's the same wine and new bottle. Right. We're not going to kind of cover some of the same old sales books. We're going to talk about some that are uh, that were meaningful to us and, um, and stuff that we've read recently as well. So that'll be part one of this listener's choice. And then part two are the non-sales books. So I think I'm kind of in this mode where I'm, I've, I've kind of worn out of some of these, the traditional sales books. So we'll talk about some of the ones that we're reading here too. And we would love to, if you have recommendations or stuff that you've read, please uh, shoot it our way. Um, I'm always looking for, uh, for new stuff to read. I know Bobby is too. No doubt. I have a, uh, audible account with a few extra credits. So send some ideas my way. I've, I've, exhausted kind of my listening library over the last month or so yeah so i guess on that note have you ever done the kindle thing is audible your go-to way what's your preferred yeah method? i mean i've done a little kid a little bit of kindle i'm sh- the unlimited kindle kind of catches my attention every once in a while but i know i'll be hooked forever and i have another 14.99 i spend every month for the rest of my life so i i enjoy i enjoy listening when i drive uh i even i even listen when i run lately my wife doesn't know how i do it but I just stay engaged in the book and forget the pain in my legs. Yeah, there is there is something to be said about that. Um, being able to kind of tune out podcasts work well for me on that. When I did the Chicago Marathon last month, that I had uh, music going for the first half and then a podcast going for the second half. So uh, it's a nice distraction, that's for sure. No doubt. Yeah, I've thought about getting a Kindle. I do like having. Uh, maybe this is um, ego, but speaking, but I do like having the physical book. So even yep. if I'll do, uh, even if I do try a Kindle, which I'm super interested in doing, cause it'd be nice to have on flights and stuff and for travel. Um, I don't, it'd, it'd be weird cause I'd still want to order the book too. I don't know if that's a weird thing or not. No, nah, I don't think so. I think that's the, the hook and the, the beauty of the books that I do have on Kindle and I've double bought a lot of things, both physical, the book itself and then audible and then bought the Kindle books. So I could put notes in it. You know, it goes everywhere and anywhere with you. Uh, and then Kindle's got a pretty good reader, too. So if you like the mix of Audible and, and the, if it, you don't want to buy the WhisperSync version of the book, it still does a pretty good job of reading to you. So I would suggest the free one that you have on your iPhone. Just download the uh, Kindle app and test the book there. Yeah, that's a good call. All right, cool. So let's jump into it. Um, some of these are going to be repeats that you've heard from us. Uh, and one, in fact, the one we'll lead with, we did an entire series on, and that's uh, Challenger Cell. Uh, that's by Matt Dixon. Uh, Matt has gone on to to um, leave the company he was working for when he wrote this, and he's doing bigger and better things now. He's an interesting follow on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, if you need somebody to host an event and a thought leader for an event, Matt's still doing that kind of stuff. He's a super sharp guy. And the Challenger Cell, Bobby, for me, was like the big aha wake-up moment for me for sales uh, from a a tactical job to a professional career. Um, and so I, I've always got a deep appreciation for this book. I know you do too. Uh, if you've not read this book, read the book, listen to our series. We've got a number of kind of actions and things that we took away from it in our first evaluation of it. Bobby, anything 
anything special about this book to you? Well, the thing that I call out to everybody that's in, in sales today or in tech sales, I, I tell them, you know, I think you, you would be surprised what the book says about what the number one sales type it is not, right? I think everyone thinks relationships and scratching backs and taking, you know, taking one on the chin for a customer is the right way to approach a sales engagement. But I think the challenger sales speaks to just how wrong that relationship seller is. Not that we don't need relationships or that, you know, being good to customers isn't smart, but you have to find a way and a time to hold customers accountable to your sales process and challenge them. And I I would agree with you that once I started doing that midterm at Microsoft, I started to pivot from a a salesperson to both a, a coach and a manager and being able to help people know how to sell, but uh, I think a business leader as well. Yeah. And I don't, I I remember kind of rolling my eyes when this got assigned to us, when we uh, were working, I think at Microsoft when this came out, actually it was at Microsoft when this came out. And I don't know that I read it the first time with the same kind of um, intensity that I read it even today. But if, if the summary of this is the old school, old school questions are, and still are, I still hear this from some people is, what's your biggest pain point? What keeps you up at night? Can you tell me about your business? Um, those are the, that to your earlier point, Bobby, those are kind of the, that's the old school method of, of trying to draw out an opportunity, a sales opportunity for you. Whereas the challenger sell rep teaches the prospect something about their business and tailors their pitch to resonate with customers' concerns and take controls of the sales process. And it may sound audacious to say that you're teaching the prospect something about their business, but really what that means is ideally you've your company the company you work for has measured some sort of business outcomes that you've helped other companies achieve those pains that that customer you helped achieve or your company helped to achieve or solving those problems rather um, you should they should be probably and are similar to what other companies in that industry are also experiencing so um, those messages will resonate and you should archive those and keep those handy and that's what really the challenger sell is all about it's it's coming to Maybe the best sentence summary of it is it's coming to a prospect with a point of view um, and, and, and you're going to be corrected and you should be prepared to be corrected. They're going to say, yeah, that's not as big an issue, but they're, at least they're going to appreciate that you came with something unique rather than what keeps you up at night, which is like such a roll eye roller. You know, if they don't physically do that to you, they're, they're doing it mentally for sure. Yeah, quick funny note. I think this, well, I know this came out when you were at your second stint at Microsoft. And uh, I think the, the whole central region over pivoted on it or something, and you forwarded me an email. And um, the, the comment at the beginning of your email was, you were a challenger before being a challenger was cool. Oh, that's and right. I'll never forget <laughs> that, that that struck home for me that, like, oh, wow, Brian actually thought oddly well of me at one point in my life. That's right. It was nice. That's right. I do remember that, actually. Yeah, so that was that was the second time back. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's Challenger Sell. That's the first one. Um, I had my son read the second one when he was 12 years old, um, and that's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, it's poorly named. We've called it out. We've talked about this book several times on the podcast. Um, I, have you, You've read this one, certainly, Bobby, right? Oh, yeah. Done. I've done grown-up book clubs on this book before where teams are not 
working well together and things aren't going right with with a group i've had i've had people read this bought many many copies of this book for sure it, this is like the crash course crash course in self-awareness i would say um if you've not read this it's a super quick read um it will make you feel at times it, it's very um invasive and cutting sometimes it'll make you feel like oh my gosh i'm I'm that guy. I've, I've done some of these things, right? And Or I've not done some of these things, like not been genuinely interested in other people. It, the, the title makes it seem like it's some sort of deception. It's it's not deception at all. It's really, it's really about how do you be more self-aware? How do you have more engaging conversations with people? How do you... And after you read this book, if you, if you truly take it to heart, you'll be... I, I was just on a plane uh, a couple days ago, and I there was a guy sitting behind me, and I um, literally went to sleep to his piercing voice that somehow pierced through my my uh, Bose headphones. They're supposed to be noise reduction <laughs> headphones. Uh, just chatting away and not you know not interacting. He was talking at someone, and then woke up an hour later and he says, yeah, "That's my life story." And I thought, "Oh my gosh, I'm glad I avoided that that seat." But it it helps you recognize lack of self awareness in other people. Which I think then in turn helps you be a better person, a more thoughtful person, a more engaging person. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of little stories and, and ways to become better. Um, lots of what I struggled with early in my career, um, being really motivated and results driven, and probably left a lot of friends and coworkers in my wake uh, because I had my my best interest at heart. I always thought the team's best interest at heart too, but I had a lot of uh, empathy issues and, and maybe some self-awareness issues early on uh, that I think the book is a good a good reminder and something I've gone back to many times to, to listen to some chapters or skim it in my Kindle and um, kind of get more level set. Uh, it's hard to forget people have their own brains and their own problems and their own stuff going on that uh, – we don't think about because we're not living their lives and this book helps you take a step back and think about them for a little bit uh, instead of just your story or your last story and your example. Yeah, it's a good, it's a really good point that even the most self-awareness people, self-aware people will take stuff out of this. Bobby, you're a very self-aware person and I think I am too, but I'm, I'm, I am introverted and you know, as you expressed with your, you know, your motivation and your, you know, desire to, you know, to grow and to build. And this was, this stood out to you, uh, in that scenario, I'm introverted and this stood out to me in that scenario. I, I am sometimes not genuinely interested in other people. And it reminds me when, when somebody's engaging with me and asking me questions, they're, 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 that is something that I need to be more thoughtful and respectful of. And I, that's what I really took away from the book is like, I need to genuinely engage with people and I, you know, I cannot fake it. Certainly as a people leader, you cannot fake that. No, you can't. Um, getting to list, getting to yes, rather, that's one that's been on your list uh, quite a bit. What do you, would you like about that book? Well, I think, I think everybody could be a better negotiator. I think uh, quite often, Quite often, I don't think people know what they're negotiating for. They're, mm-hmm. they're trying to get to a close of a deal, but they don't know what they're up against. They don't really know what the other person wants to give. We could use every buying example in the world from a car. We've talked about this to a house to 
just exchange of goods between two people, uh, never mind the tech sales world or, or the, the, the job of a salesperson. But I, I think the book gives a lot of tips on how to write down a list of things that both sides wants, even if the other people aren't telling you, right? I hear this all the time. Sales reps say, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know when they're going to do it by. They're not giving me any information. And I mean, that normally tells me that they're probably not in, in the least bit interested in buying those people's products or services. But how do you create uh, pros on, and cons for both sides on, on a timeline and on like the value of the deal and then start validating those things? And you almost can talk people into agreeing with you or, or having your viewpoint on their purchase. Um, so I, I like the negotiation tactics and some of the tips around that. Um, you, you, can, you can really win some, some big business if you put some of this stuff to work. Yeah, what I really like about this book too is that the um, even if you're even if you're a complete novice at this approach, which I you know I don't know that it's a completely radical approach, but it is a unique approach and a very thoughtful approach. Even if you're a total novice at it, you will come across as very thoughtful to the other side, right? Like you, if if you come and to the negotiation and to the discussion really, and you have thought through their interests. You, you at an absolute minimum minimum at an absolute as an absolute novice you will have they will at least appreciate that you're thinking about what they're concerned about not all about your commission check yeah and I think that's what I like most about it it's like it, there are some very basic first steps that you can take you don't have to be a pro to execute on this well I, this also probably is why I can create a pretty good cost analysis whether mm-hmm. it's in a spreadsheet or just in, in a document of some form that proposal with the reasons and value points right if throughout this process the person pushes back on something let's just say uh, if we're using the Microsoft world today and somebody says you know we don't have that many servers or something and you were to you were to talk about future growth and they gave you some, just a little bit of information there. Well, you could compute that out for 20 years if you wanted to and show that that growth is going to continue. Moore's law has not been broken for decades upon decades. So why not use that to your advantage and show them what that growth would be and what the value of maybe committing early might mean to them down the road. And if they say, no, that's not going to happen for us. And you challenge well, how, how, how are you going to prevent that from happening? How are you going to make Moore's Law change for your business? Then you can almost talk them into telling you how they're not going to stop growing, right? I guess that's them giving you the justification that, yeah, we're going to keep growing. And by using those tactics, your spreadsheet and your context of, of all your value points will continue to grow and, and ultimately get them to yes. Yeah, yep. I like it. It's a great book. That was not on my radar until... I'd say probably last year, I think we were doing a podcast on it and you brought it up and, and somehow that had missed my, uh, my list of, of, uh, interesting books to read. Um, so I, I found that one interesting. Um, the next one is, uh, the first 90 days. This is a book that I've read several times. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a people leader or an individual contributor. It's a great book. Uh, Bobby, you've read this one too. Is that right? I have recommended by the same person, I'm sure. Yep, exactly. So I think the 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 book does a good job. I I'll first say like the first time I ever had a job change, like a significant promotion, um, the mistake I made early on was to you know finish my other role on a Friday and start mm-hmm. the new role on Monday, or or better yet, 
still doing the old role and kind of doing some of the new role together. And there's not, not an effective exact switch off. And while that's not always possible, it's not always possible to have a, you know, a two week break between one uh, significant job, you know, change in the next one, you can make a mental shift and prepare mentally for that next role. That's really what the first 90 days is all about. It's about changing your mindset. It's about um, building a, a strategy that's not boiling the ocean. I, the book is deep enough to boil the ocean. If if you've if you've won a significant role, or if you're, you know, you're moving into a, a VP role of significance, you can certainly learn something from this book. And um, I, I think the book can be used for a CEO or for a first line, first time sales manager. Uh, it's a great book. It's talking about how do you. How do you get early wins for the team that you're leading? Or maybe this is the new team that you'll be working alongside. How do you negotiate success with your boss? Uh, how do you, if, if you work remote, which us in sales, a lot of us have bosses that don't necessarily sit in our own market. So how do you how to have a good relationship and partnership with your manager and have good alignment there? How do you build a, a dream team? Um, and again, the, a lot of these things are kind of people leadership type scenarios and the book is definitely kind of built for and meant for that but there's still a lot of things that you could learn as an individual contributor here yeah i think the the biggest takeaway when i read it uh from individual contributor to my first line manager role at microsoft was the fact that i really wasn't sure what type of a team i was taking over or it taught me that i didn't know what type of a team i was taking over and not to make a bunch of assumptions meaning i sit and then and i take over a team who's outperformed year after year but people have probably changed mindsets probably changed culture's probably a little different and that it might be more of a startup group than it seems to be an established business and you would manage and take those things on very differently and the first 90 days tells you kind of how to think about those and get level set and do some research in that group for that first 90 days don't come in and just say well we're, we're very well established we don't know what we're doing we don't need any training and then just pick a bunch of other things to focus on and ultimately realizing when it's way too late that man i needed to train these people or we all needed training together and that ship will have sailed so it, it gives you kind of a, a deep breath moment to take a breath slow down see what the team's doing and what they need and then start implementing small changes that will improve whatever it is that needs to be improved for that given team. Yeah, it's it's a it's a definitely worth reading. Again, certainly for if if you aspire to be a leader and you're preparing for job interviews, this you need to read this book. You you will come. Uh, I feel like I've talked to a half dozen people over the past week about like a, a first time leadership role and getting them in them kind of thinking and getting prepared for that. If you want to elevate your thinking, this is a great book to start that. And if you've, if you're about to start the role, even if you started the role, this is a great book to, uh, to check out. And Bobby, when I think of you, I think of raving fans. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that right? Or is that wrong? No, it's still the go-to number one. And I have to feel like I have to explain myself because it's, it's an odd book to, to, to say is my number one, but um, working with a, a student on the other side of the fence right now, Tech Sales Lab, and they just finished reading it, and I think their eyes have opened to really what what is all this about. And this is my lesson about this book: is it's all about the customer. It's all about customer service, and we all know in sales that many, many different people along the value chain are our customers, from our teammates to our customers themselves to our partners. The vendors and everybody that we're working with, um, there, there, there's some customer aspect to all of them. 
and customer service is key. And I think this is a great parable book that kind of lets you reassess yourself on what are you trying to accomplish? What do you want? What does your customer want? And then how do you go deliver that 101%? And I think if you think about average and, and all we always talk, all that we ever talk about, about not doing everything to the best of our ability, I think when Raving Fans raps, it talks about that 101%. And if I ever get a tattoo on my wrist, it's going to be 101% because that's what I think is most important and what beats average day in and day out. It doesn't have to be 180%. It's just 101%. So many people aren't even given 90%. So you, you would be so much better than most if you would just deliver 101%. Um, yeah, I, I really um... – I really like this one. Uh, I I rec- I've I've been since I moved and came back. I switched to American Airlines because they do a lot of international travel, and I was trying to gain status on their program. And I left Southwest Airlines, and I have just been beaten down over the past year with American Airlines service. And I get that plane issues happen. Uh, <laughs> Bobby, you'll. You're probably uh, I can relate. <laughs> you can relate. You know, uh, you fixed a plane or two, or had a plane yeah, fixed yeah. or two. Uh, I get it. That, that's out of Americans' control, um, unless you think the you, you know the worker union is somehow uh, tinkering with things to to make the plane not leave. But anyhow, I the people the I've, I've just found that the people are rude there sometimes, and it's it's just totally got on my nerves. So I, about a month ago. I switched to Southwest Airlines, and all I can think about is raving fans every time I walk into Southwest Airlines. Um, and I know some people are diehard American Airlines and look to each as their own, but man, there is something totally unique when you walk into Southwest Airlines and you get on that plane, and they're smiling and they're joking on the microphone as you're, you know, as you're getting your seat buckled and everything, and. Um, I, like my flight yesterday was delayed slightly, like 20 minutes or whatever. And I, I, I could care less, but American, I'm like punching the back of the seat. If the flight's mm-hmm. delayed, you know, it, it changes everything about you. I think. Well, in Southwest, you know, there's a dozen books that their, their founders have written and talked about how they created that culture and how everybody, everybody cleans the seats and everybody does all the same work, right? There might be captains that fly the planes, but you know, and now I'm much closer to the airline industry than I ever was before. And, you know, while there are regulations, Southwest did break the mold and, and create kind of their vision, like like raving fans would tell you, right? They decided what they were going to do, and that was short regional trips with the same plane to save the economics of having a bunch of different types of planes that those pilots all had to learn different types of planes. And, you know, it employed just dozens and dozens of mechanics to work on those and southwest nailed it and they've been profitable for a really long time because they decided what they want and they they oh they are the quintessential example of raving fans because they know what their customers want and what they do is they omit the thousands of people that want a reserve seat they don't care they're going to let those people go to a bigger airline or a different airline or one that will let you have first class they just chose not to do it and because their vision's always been crystal clear and their customers' wants have been crystal clear and they've done the best they could to merge those two together, like smile, be happy, all those things, they've got a following, a loyal following that will spend money and make them be be profitable. And as you said, all those stewardess, all those pilots, all those mechanics, they literally just give 1% more than all those angry people at American and everywhere else. And it, it's done 
wonders for Southwest business. Yeah, like you can see it in their 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 P and L statement. You know, they've they consistently outperform, and uh, a lot of business models have been um, built off of this. And in fact, uh, when I was over in the UK, I heard a lot of discussion about how some of the the cheaper airlines. Um, modeled themselves out of Southwest, but they could never get the happiness part right. Like they could never get the cultural part right. Yep. Well, I think it's the, I think it's, they can't get the vision right. Literally. Yeah. I, I really, you know, I, you, you say yourself and I know you didn't mean it this way, but I think everyone thinks Southwest is a cheap airline, mm. but they're not. They, not anymore. They had a, no. Well, they had a vision yeah. of being a simplistic airline, running mm-hmm. short routes, Having full planes, not not letting you buy a steak dinner, not letting you buy a hot sandwich, right? You can't buy food on a Southwest Airlines flight other than maybe their peanuts or pretzels. But think of the cost that American Airlines has to make up. While you might not buy the hot sandwich, they have to make hot sandwiches. And they have to throw hundreds of hot sandwiches away a day. The, the cost and overhead is just unreal. And I think it is their clear vision that they execute on so well that makes Southwest different and what they are today. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. So a book I go back to quite often, and I, I've given this to like some really talented salespeople. Um, when they get in a slump, when they kind of find that they're not, they're not executing the way they want to. There is a, another book by Ken Blanchard, same person for, that wrote raving fans was co-author on raving fans. And he wrote the one minute manager, which probably was his big heyday and was also a good book that, people could benefit from but it's not necessarily on this list but the one minute salesperson is um you may not have read this one brian it's shorter than raving fans and it's a parable as well but it talks about a sales guy that's in a slump who has a similar um, guardian type angel but it's a co-worker who uh, is a real person that helps them get level set and do the things they need to do to to sell better or to be more productive and get more sales and it's just a it's just a regrounding book for a salesperson who it's all those same tried and true stuff we learn in every other sales training we ever do, but it'll give you some real weekly, monthly tactics that you can put in your arsenal to be a better salesperson. Yeah, that's cool. I'll have to recheck this one out. I did read it. It's probably been five or six years. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check this one out. And again, if you're if you're gonna be like scrutinizing our list, this probably isn't the most professional book in the world. This is not the challenger sale. Mm-hmm. This is a a day in the life of a sales rep who's not making their number and needs to get back on track and finds a friend who helps them think about what does what are you trying to get done and what's your customer trying to get done and these are the things you could do to find the better customer that wants to buy your stuff. It, it's a parable, right? It's not. It's not a how to be in tech sales book. It's just a it's just a real good level set. Yeah, I think we can all use that reset sometimes too, right? Like it, things get complicated, the job is messy. There's a thousand things you got to do. Sometimes resetting to the core basics is uh, is pretty critical. And finally, my last one is is a book that I found mm, almost five years ago now. I uh, was out of work for a while on purpose with my wife when she was sick, and then I came back to the work world and was selling something I'd never sold before, and that was hardware, and it was quite daunting. You know, people would people like to sell physical or software or cloud, and I'd sold a lot of other things, but I'd never sold hardware and was struggling to find a way to approach customers and, and re 
prospect or find myself to prospect again on a technology and a solution that I really wasn't familiar with all the value points. And I found this because it's really based on the selling new business and it's called new Sell simplified by Mike Weinberg. And he's a, seems to be a great sales coach, got a good blog, does a lot of speaking and selling has wrote a lot of books. Um, just released a book that I can say I'd recommend, but don't know that it's on this list yet. And it's called Sales Truth. It is, it's the book that will say these are the cold hard facts, and that's that. But New Sales Simplified gives strategies to to individual contributors on what their prospecting timeline should look like, how much time should they carve out, how do they go about that prospecting. We've shared a lot of this in the podcast, but if you need a book or a guide, I'd say New Sales Simplified is a great one. It has a companion book called The New Sales Manager. And it is, how does a manager use those tactics with their team, their team of six to ten, and have them go chase new business? So uh, highly recommend Mike Weinberg stuff, and, and particularly new sales simplified for the sales rep who maybe doesn't do their best work in the prospecting arena. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, Bobby, thanks for that and those recommendations. On the part two, we're going to talk about non-sales books. So. If you're looking to uh, kind of break away from the traditional sales book mold, we've got about a dozen, maybe two dozen um, ones that we'll, uh, we'll offer up to you and summarize briefly in the next episode next week. So with that, thanks everyone for listening. Don't be average. Average sucks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to The Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.